Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26, we're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, and of course, we're seeing Jesus, this is his last night before he goes to the cross to die on the cross to pay for our sin, and then, of course, rise again. And we see these events, and it's, uh, he's arrested in the garden, and when we look at this for the disciples, it's really unique. We, we've seen already that Jesus had the, what we call the Last Supper, and he talked to them about the body and the blood and all that, and now they're on the way out to the garden again. Gethsemane, and for the disciples, their world is about to be turned upside down. In fact, as we look at this passage, Jesus tells of the disciples' failure, and, and they're going to flee. He said, they're going to flee. They're going to desert him, and of course, they don't think that's true, and we're going to see his agony as he goes in the garden to pray, and so it's a very powerful passage, and we'll see it as we go through it this morning. The word confidence, when you hear that word, it sounds good. It's a, it's a word we say, you got to have a lot of confidence, and, and when you say confidence, you say, what is your confidence? And, well, you know, I, I'm going to do this, and we're going to do this, and when you think about our world, our world puts confidence in a lot of things. First of all, like science. Like, I remember Carl Sagan saying, look, the man is the center of the universe. He is everything. Everything revolves around him. Man is the message. Man must take care and take charge of everything. Sometimes people look at business and say, well, you know, you got to have confidence in business. You got to put yourself first and you got to make it happen. Now, remember uh, one of the uh, Miss America said this. She said, all you have to do is just believe you're a winner and the world will believe you're a winner. And then when you think of sports and entertainment, I, I remember some athletes would say things like, I knew I could do it. I knew I was the one that was supposed to do it. I knew that I was the best. And the confidence was in their abilities, those kind of things. I read something the other day, a guy by the name of Robert Oregon wrote this. He says, confidence is when you care enough to sin the very best. And so you go yourself. Well, that's confidence. And you might look at it, that's confidence in self. But you know, when you look at the Bible, the Bible has a different view. And the Bible presents confidence in a different way. Jeremiah says, the Lord says, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. It's not your wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast in his might, not how strong you are. It's not let a rich man boast of his riches. So you don't boast in your might and your wisdom, your riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, that's loyal love, that's unchanging love, justice and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. The Lord says, if you want to boast, you goes to the fact that you know the Lord, that you know him, and that you know what he's like, and you're growing in your relationship with him, and that you have eternal life, and those kind of things. He said, don't so boast in those things, boast in me. So here's the thought then. Where is your confidence? Is it in self or God? Confidence in the flesh, confidence in yourself always results in failure. Confidence in God, God's power in and through us always results in victory. So this morning, we're going to see the disciples in Matthew 26, they have confidence in themselves. Jesus actually tells them the shepherd's going to be hit and everybody's going to scatter. And they say, no, we're not. No, we're not. And he says, yeah, you're all going to scatter. And they go, no, we're not. And they, they, he says, you're going to deny me. And they said, no, we're not. And so they have confidence in themselves and rather than what Jesus said. And you know, if you think about it, when Jesus said, hey, you're going to deny me, they should have all said, really? Gosh, I wasn't planning on that. I mean, but they, they didn't listen to it in that way. Well, let's remember where we are in our study. Jesus and his disciples had just eaten what they would call the Passover meal, which they remembers how they came out of Egypt and out of the bondage of Egypt. And then, but in the middle of the Passover meal, Jesus did something unique. When they got to the third cup, he said, see this bread, this red represents my body. See this juice, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for the, for the uh, forgiveness of sins. And then he talked about the whole fact that, uh, that he's the salvation issue and and all of this, and, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. 
the bread and the cup. And so following that, they had a, they had a, they sang a song. I remember they ate the meal, had a song. What was really unusual, they didn't eat the fourth cup. We talked about this in the grow groups. They, they, at the fourth cup, they would have drank. Jesus said, we won't drink this cup till we come in the kingdom. Following that, they head out. And if you notice, verse 30 says, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They were on the way to the Mount of Olives. And they sang, and we even sang last week, and uh, they sang probably Psalms 115, 16, 17, and 18. Those were a lot that they sang. Judas, you remember, has already left. He left basically before the meal. And the guys didn't know why he left. Some of them thought maybe he was going to go say something to the poor. Some of them thought that maybe he was actually going... Uh, to, to, you know, get something, to, you know, to, to get more food, something like that. He's gone actually to get the religious leaders. He's gone. He's got the religious leaders. He's got some soldiers, some Roman soldiers. He's also got some guards from the temple. And they're on the way to the Mount of Olives to a place called Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. That's the plan. So he's doing that. And as we look at this, uh, we're going to see the, the, the whole issue of what's going on in the garden before they get there. Now, let me break down the passage for you. First of all, Jesus tells of his disciples' desertion. He's going to talk about it. He's going to say they, and they don't believe it, but we see it. And then we see the prayer in the garden. Now, that's, I think that's one of the things you've got to notice, that when the tough time came, Jesus went straight to the Father. So let's talk first about the desertion. Jesus tells of the disciples' desertion, and look back at verse 31. Of course, if, if you go back, back to 30, it says, after singing a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, so they're on the way to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives, if you come out of Jerusalem, and you go, the Mount of Olives is, on a, is a big hill, and there's olive trees all over that. There's a church built there now. There's another church built up here. If you notice, there's some little places here. Back at the time of Jesus, there was a place called Bethany and Bethpage, basically built up there. Jesus would most of the time leave the, the city and go spend the night in Bethany, which is probably over this way. So they're on the way. Most likely they'd have come out of the city. They'd gone this little road and gone up behind this way to go to the Mount of Olives. And they're on their way to the Mount of Olives. And here's what Jesus tells them. Verse 31. Jesus said to them, you will, fall, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. He said, you're going to all fall away because of me. Now, the whole thing is because of Jesus, because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one who's declared that he is the Son of God. He's going to die on the cross to pay for sin. The, the religious leaders are coming to get Jesus. And Jesus says, tonight, you will all fall away because of me. And when he says fall away, I want you to notice, he didn't say you might fall away or that may fall away. No, he said, certainly, you will fall away. The word for fall away is the word scandalon. That's the Greek word. It, we get the word scandal from it. It means to be tripped up. It means uh, to, to be repelled, actually. And so he says, you're going to all move out because of me, because of what happens to me this very night. And then he quotes an Old Testament verse to show that it is the fulfillment of the word of God. Notice what he says. You will all fall away me, uh, because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. He's, he's quoting Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, where God proclaims, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Well, the shepherd is Jesus, and the sheep are the, are the disciples. And he says, what's going to happen is they're going to get me, and when they get me, you're going to all scatter. Basically, you're going to run away. And that's what he's telling them. He says, it's going to happen. They're going to strike me, the shepherd, and you're going to all flee. And, of course, to those men, think about it. They have spent the last three, three and a half years with him. Uh, they think that they would do anything for him, and they, they probably would. In their minds, they would. And, and, and when he says to them, I, I'm going to get hit, basically. They're going to come get me, and when they get me, you're all going to be scattered. 
And, and they, don't, they want to think that. In fact, we're going to see the reaction in just a second. But he tells them something else, and they miss the second part. Look at verse 32. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. He says they're going to strike me down. That means he's going to kill me. And after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you. Now, this is the fifth time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus tells of his death and resurrection. He tells it over and over. He says, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. They just didn't grasp it. There's one of the places where he says, I'm going to die and, and rise again, and it says it was hidden from them. They didn't grasp it. One other time he says, I'm going to die and rise again, and Peter says, we'll never let that happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And then we see this passage where he says it, and they miss it because instead of thinking about what he just said, I'm going to die and rise again, all they're thinking is, we're going to betray you. We're going to run off. You, we're, going to, we're going to scatter. And they're thinking in their minds, we're not going to scatter. I'm sure they were hurt. I'm sure they couldn't grasp it. They said, we, we just cannot believe that we're going to fail. And see, sometimes, what, what, if, what, if, what if I said to you that we know tomorrow every one of us are going to deny Jesus in some way? You go, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think I will. Yeah, well, you don't know. Jesus tells them that's going to happen. Well, let's see their reaction because it's pretty powerful. And, of course, Peter is the one that's going to talk. Peter always talks. Peter is the, is the leader. And you could say to Peter, I'm the leader. I do the talking. Sometimes I say the right things and sometimes I say the wrong things. But most of the time I'm talking. And so what does Peter say in verse 33? Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. He says, listen, I've got confidence in myself, even though all, in fact, he says, it's possible. Maybe they will. His confidence is in the flesh. And he says, you know, I'm not going to fall away. They may fall away. I mean, it's possible they could, but I will never fall away. And the way it's written in the language is what those, what you call that double negative. It's like, I will in no way, no how fall away. And sometimes when we put confidence in ourselves, confidence in the flesh, we can always fail. You remember the chart that I put up sometimes? This is a believer. We have a body. We have a soul, which relates to the world around us. We have a conscience, which tells us right from wrong. We have a flesh, which is the natural bent to sin. It's called the old man. It's called the flesh. Uh, it, it, you know, it's called sin within us. And it's the natural bent to sin, and it always wants to sin. When we trust in Christ, we become a new creation. I put human spirit. That's one way to put it. We were dead spiritually. Now we're alive spiritually. We ha- can have a relationship and know God. And then the Holy Spirit actually comes to live inside of us, to empower us, to help us to live. And so if we live in the flesh, we're going to sin. If we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have victory. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, Spirit against the flesh, contrary one another, that you may not do the things you please. So the Bible actually tells us there's this battle going on inside of us. Right now, Peter is actually saying, I know I can do this. I know I'm not going to deny you. And basically, he's got his confidence in himself. And be careful. We have to be really careful when we say something like, I would never do that. I would never do that. I would never deny Christ. I would never divorce my spouse. I would never lie. I would never cheat. I would never not pay my taxes. I would never steal from my company. Listen, if you put any of us in the wrong place at the wrong time, we are capable of doing any wrong thing. Do not say what you would never do. I'm sure Peter says, I will never deny you. And he did. And we got to be really careful because if we live in the flesh at all, we're capable of any sin. And that's the powerful truth. Our confidence has to be in God and not ourselves. So what does Peter say? Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never follow you. And look what Jesus says. He said, I'll never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night, right now, 
before a rooster crows, before it's morning time, you will deny me three times. Jesus tells Peter that he will deny him three times. Not one time. Not mess up once. Not let something slip out the wrong way. But three different times. And the word deny there means to, to not acknowledge. To basically say I have no connection. And so I want you to realize three times. Not once, but three times. Three times you're going to say you don't even know who I am. And we say, what? Peter would say, no, no, I spent three years with you. I, I've watched you. I've watched you do miracles. I've done every, I, I know you. And I will, there's no way I'm going to do that. Let me tell you, if Jesus says it, you can count on it. That's why if the Bible says something, you can count on it. When the Bible says, I give you eternal life, what do you have? You have eternal life and you can count on it. When people say things like, could you lose your salvation? Of course you can't lose your salvation. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you trust in Christ, he gives you eternal life and you're saved and saved forever. That's because what God says and God's word is true and it's always right and it's always the authority. And so if if it says it, you can do it. So in this passage, Jesus says, you will. Peter should say, man, I don't want to, but I guess if you said I will, I will. Because that's God's word. So Peter said, Jesus said, I say to you that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times times. Peter can't believe it because Peter could say, I love you. And we'd say the same thing. I love you. I I don't want to ever, I don't want to do that. So look at Peter's response. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And as I said a while ago in the original language, it's, I will in no way, no how deny you. All the disciples, they said the same thing too. They're going, no, we're not, we're not going to deny you. Now, if, you know, if you're there, who are you going to believe? Jesus or them? Right? I mean, think about it. We're going to believe Jesus. Jesus says they're going to deny him. He's going to, the shepherd's going to be struck. They're going to all run away. Peter's going to deny him three times, and we just need to believe that. And listen, here's the thing. We never know the depths of our sinful selves until we get into a place where we're tempted. We say, I think I'm okay right now, but be real careful. Because when temptation comes, we are, we are susceptible. We have to stand strong in the, in the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's the, how we have the victory. But, you know, we can't say, I will never do this, because you don't know what you would do. What we'd like to say is, I hope I never do anything like that. I hope I would never do this because I, I want to live for Jesus. But we can't say, I will never do anything, because you put us in the wrong place at the wrong time, we may do the wrong things. We cannot put confidence in the flesh. You know why? Because number one, first of all, you can't save ourselves. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how much you try, I can remember I told you I used to think if you did more good than bad, you'd be able to get to heaven. But the truth is, one bad is sin. Wages of sin is death. I'm separated anyway. I couldn't save myself no matter how good I could try to be. And even in the Christian life, if we try to live in our own power, we will always fail. The only way we can live the Christian life is in God's power through us. And so we cannot ever have confidence in the flesh. If we walk in the spirit, if we walk in the, the flesh, there will be sin and failure. If we walk in the spirit, there'll be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what comes out. Well, there they are on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, on the way to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus tells them that he's going to get hit. They're all going to flee. And even Peter's going to deny him three times. And they all say, no, we won't. Well, they get there. Look at verse 36. And we're going to get to verse 36. We see the prayer in the garden. Then Jesus came with them. When Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, they've come to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane means the place of the olive press. And if you remember at that time, there's that long hill, and we'll talk about it, and there are olive trees, and they would take the olives, and there was usually an olive press up there, which was a big, you know, big thing made out of brick and uh, wood, uh, I'm sorry, 
thick bricks and things, and they'd put it in there, and they would crush it with stone, and then they would take the oil. And so when they got up there, this is, what, this is, this is the Mount of Olives. This is what it looks like even today. Uh, I went there in 1976, so that was a long time ago. Things have changed even more. There's a church there. There was another building back here that was there. Now, when Jesus was there, we don't know what was there. We know there was an olive press there because that's what Gethsemane means. These olive trees, most tell us that olive trees live sometimes between three and 4,000 years. These trees, some of these trees may have been there when Jesus was there. Just amazing. And so they get there at a place called Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And be, before I get to that, just I want you to think what's happening at this time. Jesus is there. He, he's got 11 guys. One of them is gone. He's got 11 guys. He's going to tell eight of them to stay right here, and he's going to take three of them, and he's going to go over here with them, and then he's going to tell those three to wait right there, and he's going to go over here. Meanwhile, coming from the temple area is Judas and some, the priest and some of the temple guard and some Roman soldiers and some of the members of the Sanhedrin, the religiously, and they're all coming. Their plan is to come up that hill and get Jesus. Because Judas has said, I know where he is. I know where they're going to go. Because this was a place they went a lot. And so Judas knows where they're going to be. Notice what's about to happen. That Jesus knows this night he'll be arrested. And the next day he will die on the cross to pay for our sins. He knows that. So what's he going to do the night before? Look what he says. When Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. That's what he's going to do. Jesus is a model for us. He, when things go wrong, when things are coming up, whatever events are happening in our lives, what did Jesus do? He prayed. He said, stay over there, and I'll go over there and pray. And when, where do we go? Where do we go in the events of our lives? Because every one of us, we have ups and downs and ins and outs and just going through life. Where do we go? We've got to take our problems and our requests and our questions. We take them to our Heavenly Father. And, and so look what happened. So Jesus said, y'all go over there. Then, as I said a while ago, he's got eight of them right here, and he's going to pull three away. Look what he says. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Now, you remember James and John and Peter? They call them the inner, inner circle. When you think about Jesus' ministry, there were a whole bunch of people that followed him around. There were women that followed around. There were men that followed around. There were all kind of people. Out of all those people, at one point he had 72 that he sent out. Out of all of those people, at one point, he actually chose 12. And of those 12, there were three that were called the inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John. They were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were the ones that went into the room with him when he raised the 12-year-old girl from the dead. And they're going to be with him on the gar in the garden here. And then out of all of those, there was one, which John... Well, John said he was the disciple that Jesus loved. So John said, I, I'm kind of the favorite, you know, and that's how John looked at it. But so Jesus pulls the three guys. He's got eight here. He pulls the three guys here, and here's what he tells. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Why? He's sad. He's troubled. You know why? Because Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus is going to go and just the next day, he's going to die on the cross. He's going to die, as First Peter says, the just for the unjust. He's going to die for us. That wages of sin is death. Jesus is going to be separated from the Father. He's going to be separated. And listen, here's the thing. He's never been separated from the Father. 
When you think about the Bible and you go back and you know that there's the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. At a point in time in history, Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to the earth, became a human being. But he's not separated from the Father. He still has that perfect fellowship and relationship with the Father and the Spirit. But when he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross, he's going to take the sin of mankind and he's going to be separated from the Father. That's why on the cross he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, the Father, my God, the Spirit, why have you forsaken me? Because he's going to take sin and be separated. He knows what's coming. That's why he's distressed. That's why he says he would begin to be grieved and distressed because he's never been separated from the Father. We talk about this, about him taking on sin and taking, taking the mankind's sin and how horrible that was. And we even talk about you know, having nails and this and being beaten and the thorns on his head and they whipped so badly you couldn't even tell who he was. But I think that the thing that bothers Jesus is not all that. It's seeing separated from the Father. I think it's that he's never never had the unbroken fellowship. Now, we don't grasp it all because we break the fellowship all the time. But he never had broken fellowship with the Father. So he says he is grieved and distressed. And then look what happens. Uh, it says, then he says, then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. It's like, I almost wish I could die. Remain here and keep watch with me. Now, here's what he's telling. Here's the eight. Here's the three. He says, you guys just stay right here and keep watching with me. I'm going to go over here a little further. That's what he's telling them. Remain with me and keep watch with me. And then in verse 39, he went a little further beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible to let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but you will. The Gospel of Luke says he was just a little bit away. He fell face down and he calls God Father. He uses the word Abba, which is Daddy. Jesus is calling the Father Daddy. So you can come to God the Father anytime, anyplace, anywhere about anything, and you can call him Daddy because you're a child of God. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, we are children of God, and you can cry out, Abba, Father. And so he cries out. And he, he says, he went a little further, and he says, My father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but you will. And he actually says, let this cup pass. And it's, the, it's really the cup of wrath is how we look at it. In Isaiah 51, it talks about the cup of fury, which is judgment for sin. Second Corinthians says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took the wrath because he separated from the Father. So the just for the unjust, the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He actually says, if possible... Let this cup pass from me. Now, let me, I'll put this up here. What does it mean, the passing of this cup? And I'll be honest with you, I don't really know. Nope, nobody exactly knows. Some people say that's Jesus in his humanity saying, uh, if there's a way, I don't want to have to do this because I don't, I don't want to go through all this. I don't want to, to all of this and, and be separated from you. That, there's one view that says that. There's others that, that maybe he's saying, I, I want it to pass. I would like for it to pass quickly I, if, if it's possible uh, you know, it's sort of like when you have somebody, you know, having surgery or you're having surgery, you're saying, I wish they'd just put me to sleep and let this thing get over with and I'll wake up and I'm out of this stuff. And maybe Jesus is saying, let's get this thing as fast as possible, if, if possible. We don't, don't know, but he says, if, if possible, let this cup pass. He may be saying, if there's a way that I wouldn't have to be separated from you. But then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. He always does the will of the Father. 
And, and, and this is what's so hard. And see, realize that when Jesus, what happens on the cross? Jesus takes the sin of every human being, the sin of every human being, and pays the penalty, and he's being separated from the Father. And so I think this is really the key. And we'll see it more in just a minute. I've got another thing I want to show you. But the bottom line is I think that's what he's saying. I, I don't want to be separated if there's any way, but not my will, but yours. And see, here's the truth. When we pray, always pray according to the will of God, meaning this. Sometimes we know his will because we can find it in the word of God. Sometimes we don't. And we may say, as he says, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And we can say to God, God, this is what I want. However, even though this is what I want, ultimately, Whatever your will is, I will trust that. That's praying according to the will. And that's what Jesus does. Well, then look what happens. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so you mean cannot keep watch with me for one hour? He said, you guys weren't able to keep watching? And then he says to them, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Because see, spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, listen, the temp- be careful. Remember the temptation's coming? I already told you what's going to happen to them. They're going to fail. And look what he says. Spirit's willing that you want to do what's right, but the flesh is weak. You're not able to always do what God wants. At least that's what he's telling them. And this next verse has, has so much more in it. And, and when he gets to verse 42, he says, he, said, he went away a second time. Now watch what he says the second time. He prayed saying, My Father, Abba, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. It's a first class if in Greek, which means if and is true. He's saying, if it's true, this cannot pass away. And it can't. He's got to go to the cross. He's got to be the separation. There is no exception. He says, if, if it can't pass away except I drink it, the death and the separation, then your will be done. And see, what is God's will? God's will is that Jesus Christ would go to the cross to die on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind, to be buried, rise again after three days, conquering death, and giving eternal life to anyone who would believe. That's the will. And that's why the Bible even says, what is the will of God for us? The will of God is to believe in him who he has sent, to put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, this is a terrible time. And let me just give you some verses. In Hebrews 2.9, it said he would taste death for every man. And the, and the way it's written in the Greek there is talk about the drink the dregs of, of the judgment. And then in Hebrews 12.2, he says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who watch, who for the joy set before him. What did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, overlooking the shame, so he could do what? Sit down at the right hand of the throne a father. See, it wasn't this the cross that was the issue. It was the separation, I think. And so he said, my father, if this cannot pass away, then unless I drink it, then your will be done. Let's just do it. Again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. Can you imagine those guys? Every time you turn around, they say, we're, we're watching, we're watching. And they fall asleep and they, he wakes them up. And he found them sleeping again. He left them again in verse 44 and went away and prayed a third time saying the same Thing once more. Now, let me tell you some things that the other Gospels, I, what I do is I, I try to read, I read all the Gospels all the time. I just read them over and over, all of them. And so I just kind of get the big picture. That's what I see. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, it, it says that as he was praying, sweat fell down like great drops of blood. There's some people who say that he was bleeding. And the Bible doesn't really say that. It says sweat fell like great great drops of blood. So I don't think it was blood. There's also another place that says in the Gospel of Luke that angels came and ministered to him. Now, do you realize this is a temptation here? 
Because way in, in the beginning, think about this. When we started the ministry, the devil takes him out and says, if you're the son of God, make these bread, make these stones into bread, jump off the top of this thing and everybody will see, I'll give you all the kingdoms. And he was tempting Jesus and Jesus went back to the word of God every time. And we say, well, that's when Jesus was tempted. Well, he was tempted his whole life. The Bible actually says that the devil was looking for opportunity times. Well, now at the end, here's another test. Will he do it or not? Will he go through with it? Will he do it? What does he say? Not my will but your will. And we see angels come to minister to him. Now, I want to show you a verse, and I'm just going to give it to you, and you can look at it sometime in more detail. But in Hebrews chapter 5, verse says, it says that with crying and tears, Jesus was saved from death. That's how it reads in the English. And it looks like it's saying, well, Jesus, he, he cried, and then he didn't die. No, no. It, when it says saved from death, the Greek word there means out from death. And so what we find is that the cup will pass, Jesus will die and rise again, being saved out from the dead, out from death, by being raised from the dead. That's what it's talking about. Sometime if you want to, you can look at that in Hebrews chapter 5. Anyway, so here it is. He's, he's praying. He's ready. He, he says uh, this is the third time and the cup will pass and then look what happens. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Because they were. And he says, behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, uh, this verse has a lot in it. I want you to think about it. He says, y'all still sleeping and resting? They were. He says, behold, the hour is at hand. It's time. The Son of Man is to be betrayed. But notice what he says. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Well, who are the sinners? Well, some people say, well, who is it? Well, it's Judas. Well, some people say, no, 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 it was the religious leaders. Some people say, no, it was the, it was the Jews. The Jews are the ones that put Jesus on the cross. Some people say, no, no, it was the Romans who put Jesus on the cross. Some people say it was Pilate who put Jesus on the cross. You know who put Jesus on the cross? We did. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus Christ died for us, and we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. We are the center, the sinners that put Jesus on the cross, and I'm glad that he did. Aren't you? What would happen if he didn't go to the cross? The wages of sin is death. We'd be separated from God forever. But Jesus came and died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death and says, whoever will believe in me will never perish but have everlasting life. So who caused the death of Jesus Christ? We did. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So look what happens in verse 46. He says, get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And we're going to see next week they're coming. And i, I got to show you this because I want you to think about it. So you got eight guys here and three guys here and Jesus here. And coming up the side of that hill is Judas and religious leaders and Roman soldiers and temple guards and people with swords and people with sticks and people with torches, and they're coming up. And so Jesus gets up, and he goes over and gets the three guys, and he says, get up. And they all get up, and they stand right there. And they come up over that hill. And as they come over that hill, Judas comes forward. And Jesus steps out and says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. And he said, I am. That's the name of God. And the Bible says they all took step back and put their faces to the ground. That's pretty powerful. I think if I'd have been in the group, I would have gone on home right then. Right? What would you have done? Right? 
And we'll see more of it next week. It won't all be in Matthew. We'll have to go some other places, but there's some great things. So Jesus says, they're going to strike me. I'm going to scatter. You guys are going to deny me. And they all say, no, we're not. He gets to the garden and he prays. If there's any way, maybe it could pass. There's not. He's ready to do the Father's will to die on the cross to pay for sin. And here they come. So let me give you some applications. The first one is this. When trials come into our lives, let's turn to God in prayer. What did Jesus do in the final night? Right before he goes to the cross, he goes to the Father. What should we do? Well, we should make our request known to God. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious with nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. So make our request known. Pray to God when the trials come. D.L. Moody said, he who kneels the most stands the best. I love that. There's a second thing, that when trials come in our life, pray according to God's will. Because that's what Jesus kept saying. Not my will, but your will. The will of God is found in the Word of God. And so as we know the Scripture, and even when we have things that we don't, we don't have revelation on, and we say, Lord, I don't know what to do. This is what I would like. However, Lord, whatever your will is, that would be the best thing. So do that. The third thing is we must trust God in the trials. We have to. And, and uh, this little, we've got to remember that character comes in trial. James chapter 1, counted all joy in the falling of various trials because the testing of your faith works patience. It causes you to trust God more. That's why character comes in the trials. I like this little poem. I think. This one uh, by Francois Fenelon said this, tell God what's in your heart. Tell him your troubles that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he may purify them. Tell him your temptations that he may shield you from them. Show him your wounds of your heart that he may heal them. Go to him anytime, any place, anywhere about anything. I always put down, pray as Jesus taught. How did Jesus teach? Pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. When we pray, we go to our Heavenly Father. We're praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we end our prayer, we say, in Jesus' name we pray because we're coming in the name of the Son. So that's a good thing there. The second thing I just want you to think about is let's have no confidence in the flesh. Let's, let's do it really. In ourselves, we can't do anything. We always fail. We cannot save ourselves. No matter how good we think we can be, we can't be good enough to be saved. And second thing is even as believers, we will fail if we live in the flesh. If we have confidence in the flesh, there's failure. If there's confidence in Christ, there's victory. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then last but not least, Let's, let us understand Jesus died for us. The only means of dealing with sin is death. That's it. The wages of sin is death. So there has to be a death. Jesus had to die for us. Jesus was separated from the Father to pay the penalty of sin, which is death. That's why I think that he didn't want to go, because he didn't want to be separated from the Father, because the wages of sin is death and death is separation. Jesus did that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The third thing is to remember this, that by faith in Jesus, we have eternal life and forgiveness. Jesus died for us and rose again, and if we trust in him and him alone, he gives to us eternal life, which is an eternal relationship with Christ. From the moment you believe in Jesus, you are saved, and you are saved forever. May our confidence not be in ourselves, but be in our God and our Savior. May we turn to him in the times of trials and may we trust in him in all aspects, knowing that we have eternal life simply by faith.